everyone, and Happy New Year to all of you, especially if you are visiting with us today. It's great to have you with us, and I'm going to uh, be taking off on holidays for a few weeks starting um, this week, but I'd love to catch up with you before I take off. And I'm having a little giggle at myself because I preached at um, S9 this morning, and I forgot to take off my tie. Um, this is not a New Year's resolution. But because we're going to be talking about slaves and class and everything, I thought it was kind of um, interesting that I forgot to take off my tie. Um, we're going to be looking at um, this short little letter um, known as Philemon. I'm preaching in three services today, and so I've been working with a lot of service directors and, and leaders, and they all have said the same thing to me. So what is this book ab- about? And it's this, um, this little treasure, um, Paul's shortest letter, 25 verses long. But I think it's had such a huge impact, and it can have a huge impact not only on our society, um, but our church and our lives individually. But because it's not a a really well-known book, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time giving you kind of an overview. So, as I've said, this is Paul's shortest letter, 25 verses, and it's addressed primarily to Philemon, as well as the church that meets in his home, which, by the way, is the Colossian church, and that's going to come up as well. This is the church at Colossae. And so, Philemon is, is the pastor of, of this house church, and this letter is written to Philemon, who is clearly a friend of Paul's. They have a relationship but it's written to him while he is in prison. And he refers to himself not as an apostle um, in this letter. He refers to himself as a prisoner and as an old man, which is very significant. What's interesting is that this letter, along with the letter to the Colossians, is delivered back to Philemon and the Colossian church in the hands of Onesimus, who is the slave who ran away from Philemon. Paul entrusts two of the books of our Bible into the hands of this slave to take back to the pastor and to the church. And it's a book that has some profound things to say to us and to our society, and we'll talk a little bit about slavery and discrimination. And the Bible has often been accused in the Old Testament and the New Testament as promoting slavery. When you finish a book like Philemon, you just know that that is utterly untrue. In fact, books like this were, had a huge influence in overturning slavery in much of the world. But it still speaks to us today as a church, um, particularly about issues of forgiveness and our fellowship in Christ and our freedom in Christ. But there is a story behind it, so if we can just go to our next slide. Um, I want to kind of give us a picture, because you have to read between the lines um, to pick up the story, but but most scholars are in agreement. So Philemon is a pastor of the church in Colossae. He has a slave named Onesimus, and it appears that this slave, who was not a Christian at the time, ran away from Philemon and robbed him on the way out the door. Um, He needed some resources. Slaves didn't have credit cards and stuff like that. So he seems to have robbed Philemon on the way out the door. And the most logical scenario is that he's actually sought out Paul. And the reason we know this is that Paul's living far away, a couple cities away. He is in prison. And because Philemon is not in prison, he, he can move about freely. It's impossible to think that they just bumped into each other. And the most likely scenario seems to be that when Paul was 
in Colossae, in the church of the Colossians, that Onesimus heard him speak and perhaps heard him talking about slaves and masters and freedom and Christ and was intrigued, and he ran away to go and find Paul and finds him in prison, and there in prison, Onesimus becomes a Christian. But not only does he become a Christian, he becomes this dear friend of Paul. He becomes one of Paul's gospel co-workers. He becomes a partner in the gospel. But the real rub here in this story is that, legally speaking, in the Roman Empire, Onesimus still belonged to Philemon. Legally speaking, Onesimus had broken the law. So what's Paul going to do? And this is what is so incredible about this book. We know that he's going to fulfill two laws. Legally speaking, he's going to send the slave back to his master, but he's going to appeal to a higher gospel principle and send him back to the church and to his master with a brand new status and thus begin to transform the way that people thought about slaves and slavery. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to tell us this story and go through this letter um, by looking at the three main characters. So there's Paul, who writes the letter. Um, there is Philemon, who receives the letter along with his house church. And there is Onesimus, who is the slave. So if we can just go to Paul. And next slide, a few facts about Paul. Now, most of you will have some um, understanding of Paul, but for those who don't, probably the most critical thing for us to know about Paul is that he was not always a Christian. In fact, Paul himself describes himself as an enemy of God and an enemy of the church. And according to Paul's own words in books like Romans, he describes himself as having no status in God's family and God's kingdom, being outside of the family of God and a slave to sin, a slave to death and a slave to curse. And when Paul meets Jesus Christ, his understanding, according to Paul's own words, is that a couple of things happen. First of all, Jesus Christ pays the redemption price for his slavery and rescues him from slavery to sin and death. And secondly, gives him new status in God's family, takes him from a slave with no status into the family of God as a child of God. And this changes the way that Paul sees everything. It changes his whole worldview. And I say this because a lot of people agree that Philemon is not a letter that contains a lot of technical theology. If you want to have a lot of explanation, technical doctrinal explanation of what the gospel is all about, read Romans. But if you want to understand about the implications of the gospel, read Philemon. And so what Paul says to us here is that to be a good Christian church, we don't need to just preach the gospel. We're always hearing, you know, are they a good gospel church? Do they preach the gospel? Paul says to be a good gospel church, we have to live the gospel. And there are huge implications for us as Christians in the way that we live. And it must change the way that we look and the way that we live and the way that we do everything. So, he refers to himself in this letter not as an apostle. And by the way, the, the word apostle, it, it's a, a letter with a, a term with a lot of status. Basically, it means it's one of Christ's appointed ones. 
Um, not everyone was an apostle. Paul was part of a very select few. You know, the original 12 and Paul and a couple other people are named as apostles. They had to have seen Christ and been appointed by Christ to lead and to teach the church. And from time to time, when Paul needed to pull out his apostle status because the church wasn't listening to him, he would say, I'm appealing to you as an apostle. But in this letter, you notice that he very purposely doesn't even mention the word. He says, I'm appealing to you on the basis of love. I could use my authority, but I'm writing to you as an old man who is now a prisoner of Christ. And Paul uses his humble service, the example of his own life, and he basically says to Philemon, treat Onesimus the way I've treated you. Just look at the way I have lived amongst you and my humility and my love and just imitate what I have done. So what we see is not a lot of technical theology, but we see Paul's pastoral heart. And I'm really glad because Paul gets a bad rap. A lot of people say, you know, he's this hard-nosed theologian. You read books like Philemon and his great love chapter, and you realize Paul had a very, very tender heart. But Paul perceives in this difficult situation, what do you do when your close friend has a slave who runs away and finds you and becomes a Christian and legally he belongs to this guy? What are you going to do? Well, Paul thinks they've got to send him back. But Paul perceives God's work in all of this. Let me just read to you from verse 15. Paul says to Philemon, perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And he's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as your brother in Christ Jesus the Lord. So that's Paul. Um, and now let's look a little bit at Philemon and Onesimus and slavery. And I'm, I want to spend a brief bit of time on slavery because it does embarrass a little bit that exists in the Old and the New Testament, and we are accused as a group of people who have promoted slavery, which is utterly false. But we have to understand the slave situation in the ancient world if we're going to understand what is going on here. So just a few little facts about slavery. These are actually two pictures, uh, um, two ancient um, statues and a relief um, from around the first century that depict slavery. And one of the things that you can see is that slaves could be treated very differently um, depending on whose hands they were in, basically, or the society that they were in. And, you know, on one hand, you, you see this picture of uh, a slave being treated very tenderly by his master. And I want you to think about people like Joseph and Daniel in the Old Testament who basically were slaves but their master recognized they had special skills and they elevated them to high status. Remember, in some ways, you know, a slave was a lot like a vehicle, and if you value your vehicle and it wasn't just an old piece of junk, you make sure that you take good care of it. And so some masters actually invested in their slaves and treated them very well and gave them very high status. However, it was also very possible that slaves could just be seen like cattle and they could be used um, to whatever end, and I want you to think about Israel in Egypt. Um, they, were, they were numerous, and they were a dime a dozen, and they were treated very harshly, and they were treated very badly. So just a few more little facts, if we can go on to our next slide. 
So the first thing to note is that slavery was widespread in many societies throughout the ancient world. In some societies, um, it was said that the majority of people were slaves. Think about how today they always say there's a handful of billionaires who own most of the world and then there's everyone else. Well, in the ancient world, things were very much the same way. There were a handful of people that owned all of the property and all of the resources, and if you didn't, you worked for them. And in the Roman world, and that's significant because Philemon was written in the first century into the Roman world, the Roman Empire, a conservative estimate was that one in every four people uh, was a slave. Um, and they had become the backbone of the Roman economy. And I like what one scholar said. He did compare them to, to vehicles. If you think about modern planes, trains, and automobiles, anything that runs off fossil fuels, if today they said, look, these things are no good for our environment and everything, and we need to get rid of them, and they're dangerous, and they kill people. So to, tomorrow, we're not going to have any cars, no planes, trains, or automobiles. What would it do to society? Well, it would grind to a halt. I wouldn't be here because I had to come down from Springwood today. How would society operate? So the big challenge that we have here is how is the scripture going to speak into this situation and transform it from within. In the pagan world, a slave's treatment was entirely up really to, to the master. It, it was his property. And it's really significant to know that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word for slave and servant is exactly the same word. And so Bible translators have this tricky kind of balancing act they have to do. There's only one word. It's slave and servant, same word. So sometimes they'll use the word servant when they want to soften it up, and sometimes they'll want to use the word slave when it sounds a little bit more harsh. We're slaves to sin, but we're servants of Christ. But biblically speaking, we're either servants of both or slaves of both. It's the same exact word. And so in Israel, we know that Slaves were more like contracted workers. They had to be set free every seven years. They were given rights and everything, but that wasn't the case. The big thing to understand here is that slavery was basically accepted, um, and it could work for the benefit of the slave, and it could work against the slave, but that was really dependent on who the master was. So now, with that as a little bit of a background, we're going to go um, through our last two characters. So, Philemon. A few facts about Philemon. I love what one scholar said when he was looking at this letter. Paul said, Philemon, uh, Paul has an arm around both of these men. Um, I remember when my kids were growing up, I have two of them and as children, they would fight. And every now and again, I would have to draw them together and I would put an arm around both of them and I would let them know, I love you both. You both mean a whole lot to me. You don't have to fight over status or who's better or who's worse. I want to bring you guys together. And throughout this letter, that's what we can see Paul doing. And the first thing to realize is that Philemon is very dear to Paul. And he, Paul wants him to know that. So... I want to just read to you again from those first um, seven verses, starting at verse four, actually. Hear the way that Paul speaks to Philemon. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I pray that your partnership with us in the faith 
may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul sees Philemon as a, as a good Christian man and a leader who's led the church well, who's been a great partner to Paul, and he highly values him. But at the same time, Philemon, as a number of other you know, wealthy people in the day, was also a slave owner. Let me read to you from verse 8 again. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and a prisoner of Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And I am sending you, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to, to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Paul has this awkward situation. He's got the slave on one hand. He's got his friend, the slave over on the other hand. He needs to send him back. Legally speaking, that's the right thing to do. But you can hear one of the things that Paul is saying is that I'm speaking to you by a higher principle. Legally speaking, this is your property, and I'm sending your property back to you. Gospel speaking, I've got something higher to say, and I want you to respond according to the gospel principle. And because we know that Philemon was a leader of this church, the way that he responds to this is going to shape the way that not only Onesimus, but the way slavery is seen and treated within the church. And Paul is going to begin to transform this from the inside. So, let's go to the next slide. Let's look at Onesimus. So, we know that Onesimus is a slave, and if you haven't picked it up, his name means useful. And this is a part of the big play on words that runs throughout this letter. Onesimus is a real slave name. You can imagine Philemon getting him and saying, you're useful to me, so I will name you useful. So here we have this slave by the name of Useful, who Paul says became useless to his master because he did two things. He ran away from him, so he, in a sense he broke his contract, he failed to do what he was supposed to do, and he robbed him on the way out the door. So he's become utterly useless to Philemon. But through Paul's own witness, we can see that he becomes a Christian. He, that's why Paul says twice in this letter, now he has become my son. He's not talking about a literal son. He's saying, through my witness, he has now become my spiritual son in the faith, in the same way that Philemon, who was an older man, had become Paul's brother in the faith. Onesimus was now as your son. You note that he's not sending him back anymore as a slave, but he's sending him back as a brother in Christ. Paul leads Onesimus to faith in Jesus Christ while he is in prison. 
This is going to set up, again, the grand tension. What is going to happen here? And so you can see Paul doing this incredible thing. He's got his other arm around Onesimus while he's got this other arm around Philemon. And here's what he's saying. Philemon, you're my brother. Onesimus is my son. Philemon, you're my partner in the gospel. Onesimus has become my partner in the gospel. Philemon, I love you and you're very dear to me. And Philemon is my own heart. Verse 12, I am sending him who is my own heart back to you. And so you can see what's happening. He's, he's drawing these two together in Christ. And he's saying to Philemon and to the church, the way that you treat this brother of yours is incredibly important. And so as I've said before, Paul is also doing this incredible thing where he um, seems to be delivering these two letters, these two parts of Scripture at the same time, the letter to Philemon and the letter to his church the Colossians. And we find this out in Colossians 4, verse 7. He has another helper, um, that is, Paul has another helper named Tychicus, and in four, uh, Colossians 4, verse 7, he says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you um, um, for the express purpose that you may... Um, uh, da, 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 da. Sorry, I'm going to read from from what's up here. Tychicus is coming to you with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. So Paul is placing these two important parts of Scripture into the hands of Onesimus, the slave. Next slide, please. So when I was going through um, some different outlines and hearing what other preachers had to say on this, I actually found this slide and I thought, I think this guy has actually nailed it. Um, he presents Philemon as this book about forgiveness and friendship and freedom. And they all start with F, so, you know, it's got to be good. But I, I think that's exactly, if you want to know, well, what's the, what's the principle here? It, it is these three principles, but I think it's better that we handle them um, in a different chronology and the way that they, um, they play out in the book. So first of all, let's look at freedom. Paul says in verses 15 and 16, Welcome Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as a fellow man and a dear brother in the Lord. According to Roman law, He's your property, and so let's fulfill the law. I'm sending your property back to you. But there is a higher gospel principle here, and the principle says Christ has loved this man. He has set him free from his slavery. He has forgiven him for everything, and I'm sending him back to you as a brother. Not as a slave, but as a brother, and I want you to treat him as such. And keep in mind that in his other hand, Onesimus is carrying this other letter, the letter to the Colossians, where Paul says to the church, here in this church, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, and notice, no slave or free. But Christ is all in all. You notice that both Paul and Peter in their letters have to continually address the issue of slaves and masters because sitting in a congregation like this, we're a whole bunch of masters and a whole bunch of slaves. 
as well as some Jewish people and some Gentile people and some men and some women. And all of these had been great barriers. Paul says the gospel principle is higher than the legal principle. Where these used to be barriers and boundaries, Christ has torn them down. Now you are all the same because Christ is all of your head. Christ has loved all of you. Christ has saved all of you. Christ's spirit lives in all of you. And he has made you one people and one body. So Paul is setting Onesimus free, spiritually free. And then we go on to the second thing, which has to do... Um, oh, sorry, I just wanted to, to add this. Uh, keep uh, Next slide, go ahead. Um, I thought this was an interesting extra from Colossians 4, where Paul is writing to slaves and masters, and he says, Masters, give to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And it's worth going back and reading these instructions to slaves and to masters, because basically Paul says to the slaves, serve your masters as if you were serving Christ. And he says to the masters, remember that you have a master in heaven. So treat your slaves or your servants in the way that your master has treated you. Do unto others as you would have God do unto you. Next slide. Second of all, it talks about friendship. And I think a better term for that is fellowship. Because he's not just talking about the friendship between two people, but the fellowship within the church. In verse 17, Paul says, So if you consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. I mean, hospitality was an incredibly important thing in the first century. And you know, the way that you treated your guest said so much about you personally. So now Paul is a prisoner, and he can't go back, but he sends Philemon back, uh, sorry, Onesimus back to Philemon and back to the church, and he says, I'm sending back, not a slave to you, I'm sending back my dear gospel partner. I'm sending back to you my son. I'm sending back to you my own heart. So if I'm valuable to you in any way, shape, or form, then I'm telling you, welcome him, not in my name, but in Jesus' name. Give him all of the honor and respect and dignity that you would give to me, which is saying a profound thing in the first century. Those who say the Bible promotes slavery have not understood Paul's gospel principle. And then that leads us to the final point about forgiveness. Paul, again, appeals to two different principles. He says, if Onesimus has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, I'm writing this, I'm signing it in my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. And I do wish, brother, that I might have some benefit from you in the Lord. So refresh my heart. The legal principle is you have been wronged, and Onesimus needs to pay the penalty for his wrong. But whatever penalty he owes you, Paul is saying, I'll pay the penalty for the sins of Onesimus. Because that's, that's what the law says. Paul says, but just let me remind you as a pastor of this church that there is a higher gospel principle at work here. Once you were a slave and you offended your master, 
and your master forgave you. He sent his one and only son into the world to forgive you, to pay the redemption price. I want you to treat Onesimus the way that God has treated you. And if you're truly a gospel partner with me, or you're truly the pastor of a church, all I'm asking you to do is to respond to this man the way that God has responded to you. And again, in the letter to Colossians, which is in Onesimus' other hand, he writes to them and says, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive one another. So where does this leave us all? If we could just go to our next slide. Philippians 2, something that we sing about and we've quoted um, often in this service, but I like this translation, and it points out something I said to you earlier, that the words servant and slave are used interchangeably, and I like this translation. I think it's a better one. I think it kind of hits us in the face a little bit, but it reminds us about something about Jesus. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. Most of our translations say servant. The better translation is slave. You know why? Because it's describing Jesus taking on the lowest possible status. And the lowest possible status in human society was that of a slave. He's not saying that Jesus came like a butler and served drinks with his bow tie on. He's talking about a man who came into the world and was rejected and who was stripped bare and who was beaten and robbed of all of his dignity and his rights. Jesus came in the form of a slave. And by becoming like human beings, uh, like becoming like a human being, like a man, he found himself in the form of a human and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if we just go to our final slide, the words that come just before this say everything about what this passage means to us. He says to the church, so may this mind, may this attitude be in you. In the way that the gospel transformed, the way that Paul saw everything, he says the gospel must change the way that we think and act in every single way. I'm just going to read to you, um, as a conclusion, the opening uh, words of chapter 2 of Philippians. Here's what Paul says are the implications. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, being one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you looking to the interest of others. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing our song of response, and we're going to have a chance to um, act out many of the things that we've just spoken about as we go to the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you love the world so much, that you sent your Son into the world in the form of a slave, not to be served or to be honored, but to serve and to pay the redemption price so that we as slaves to sin could be set free. 
May this gospel truth and reality transform everything in our lives, the way that we see everything, the way that we see one another, and also with a clear understanding of the message that you have given us to take to an enslaved world, that God is a good master and that he is willing to forgive our sins and to set us free and to give us new status in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.